Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is Welcome to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast, where we help you wake up, find your purpose, and build your dream life. I'm so excited for this episode today with my guest, Jolene Delisle. After being born into homelessness in South Korea and driven by the hardships endured in her formative childhood years, Jolene is inspired to work with value-driven organizations and clients she can positively impact. Jolene co-founded her branding and creative agency while pregnant in 2017. Clients of the Working Assembly include unicorn startups like Zola and Klarna, as well as established brands like Evian and Mass Mutual. Since the agency's inception, the company has tripled in revenue every single year. In 2021, she was named into the Forbes Next 1000 Entrepreneur List. Jolene has committed her professional life to work with women, values-led organizations, and clients she can positively impact. She is passionate about bridging the gender equality and diversity gap in creativity and tech and launched TWA Labs in 2019 to invest in female entrepreneurs and founders of color. As a longtime resident of New York City, she created local works to support independent retail business owners in 2020. Jolene is an awesome person, an awesome human, an incredible entrepreneur, and her story is just amazing. In this episode, we dive into her upbringing, what it was like being born into homelessness in South Korea, moving to the U.S. at a young age, losing her mom, growing up with her adopted family, navigating young adulthood, and what it has been like to get very intentional in her own life in building this incredible business and this incredible life and how it's led her to some awesome adventures now in launching her latest business, which is an ice cream shop in upstate New York. In this episode, we dive into her mindset, her mentality, her views on success and happiness, and how she's building an incredible purpose-driven life today. With that, I hope you enjoy the show. Jolene, welcome to the Bits of Gold podcast. So excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to catch up and for you to share your story today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. This is really awesome. I've listened to a couple of your episodes and it's so inspiring to hear other people's stories. And I love your message around resilience and chasing your dreams. I think all those things really resonate with me. So excited and honored that you asked me to be on. Yeah, so maybe just before we really jump into it, you could share a little bit about who you are and then we could take it back to wherever the beginning of your story is. Sure. So I'm Jolene Delisle. I'm the founder and head of creative of The Working Assembly. We're a branding and creative agency based in New York City. We help brands at various life stages through a number of challenges they might be facing, whether that's brand repositioning, starting a brand from scratch, or if you're a Fortune 100 company, you know, maybe even evolving or redefining what your messaging is for a newer audience. So really love my job. I 
get to work with amazing creative talented people every day. We have everyone from kind of designers to writers to technologists, people who are really kind of creating new things all the time. It's something that we, we really love and are grateful to be able to do. Yeah. And you're very talented at it. You helped me out by helping on one of the brands that I was previously working on. Yeah. No, that was a really fun project. Awesome. Well, maybe we could jump into the beginning of your story, wherever that starts for you. Yeah, for sure. You know, when I think about my story and I think about where kind of all this has led me to to date, I really think about how I was born, how I was raised, those formative years. And so, you know, I was very uniquely positioned in that I was born to a single mom. I was born in Seoul, Korea, South Korea. And I was born to a single mom who we, at the time we had no home. And so for the first six years, there was a lot of adversity. We were challenged. I remember kind of very clearly, like not, you know, having food and being a little bit scared. And my mom, my birth mother made the decision when I was six years old to put me into an orphanage and to give up her rights to me. And as challenging as that is and hard to think about and losing her, it did provide me the opportunity to have the parents I have now and to be able to be, have a lot of access to kind of the life I, I've been able to build. The first couple of years, I didn't speak any English. So I was very challenged in communication and art became kind of my medium and forum for how I was able to express and communicate myself to others. And so storytelling and art became really the biggest points for me and, and where I love to kind of spend my time. And so I guess it's not super surprising that as an adult, going into advertising, going into brand storytelling, going into to art direction, it all kind of makes a lot of sense because those for me were kind of the bridge that I had to others. And so I love the fact that my day-to-day -day job now also is a bridge for other people. I'd love to dive into a little bit more about your childhood and your upbringing and those early years. How long were you in Korea for? Yeah, so I was fortunate to get adopted by my parents pretty much after like nine months living in an orphanage. And so when I came to New York in the North, North Jersey, New York area, that's where my parents were living. It's kind of what brought me to where I live now. That was probably a couple of years. And I was able to, you know, really assimilate very quickly into American culture. And I think, you know, again, like art, having art and having that medium became a big point for me. How many years were you in Korea for? I was there for almost seven years. What memories do you have in those seven years while you were in Korea? Yeah, when I was in Korea, I have early memories. You know, of course, they're not super clear. And luckily, I was able to document a lot of them early on. So I have things to kind of go back to and, and remember, whether it be pictures or, or letters or things I drew or wrote. I definitely remember not having any food. I mean, I think that's something those type of traumas like stay with you when you don't have food or you don't have access to water or a safe place to sleep. So those things I still carry with me and I remember very much. And of course, I remember my birth mom too. I remember being with her and that's a loss. You know, it's something that I think about all the time. I think about her every day. What was it like for you in those early years when you didn't have food? It sounds like you didn't have like a safe place to sleep at night. Yeah, we didn't have a regular place to live. So of course you're a child. So you use your imagination. You try to kind of make the best of what you can. You have no control over where you are and have kind of any ability to really help. I remember us kind of going through like garbage and going through restaurants, trying to find food. Do you have any siblings? I didn't, no. 
what was that like to not have safety or knowing when your next meal would be put on the table? I think that what's so interesting, Dan, is that like you don't know what you don't know until you know something else. And so for me, until I came to America, until I had the family I have now, until I was able to actually grow into being an adult, I think it was the only time I was able to really process what I went through as an experience, understand, and be able to really rationalize like what that was like. It's hard when you're in it because you're a child and it's the only environment and life that I knew. So for me, it was normal. That makes sense. Have you been back to Korea since, since you were adopted? I haven't. It's something that I definitely would like to do. I think it's very challenging for me because my daughter is very close to the age that I was when I lost my mom. And I feel conflicted about like going back to Korea right now. I feel like it's pretty emotional and it would be potentially traumatic for me too. What about your birth parents? Are they still in Korea? Are they alive? I have no idea actually. So the way that I was adopted was a closed adoption. So I don't necessarily have all the background and materials. So you come here when you're seven years old, you were living in an orphanage in Korea prior to that. And you find out you're getting adopted. What was that like at seven? Did you know what was going on? Did you know you were coming here? At the time, the way that the adoption occurred was you're living in an orphanage with other children and they don't want to traumatize those kids and create confusion for them when one kid leaves. So in the middle of the night, they'll take you to a plane. So I literally got woken up in the middle of the night and got brought to an airport to then get brought to New York to JFK. And so I had no context for what I was doing. I was with a handler who brought me, but I had no idea what was really going on. You had no idea that you were going to New York? No, nothing. At that point, had you been on a plane before? No. What was it like getting on the plane? That's a real vivid memory for me because it was so unlike anything I had ever experienced. You know, I grew up in a very small bubble of an environment, at least for me, where it was just my mom and I. And then when I lived in the orphanage, I was in another little bubble. And so to be in an airport with that many people and then be brought somewhere completely new and then be immediately introduced to someone who is now, they're saying, is your parents and your family, it was a lot to process. It was a lot to, to register what was happening. You get off the plane. Are your parents waiting for you to meet you? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty traumatic. I think that I feel very conflicted about adoption. I think there's a lot of really positive that happens with it. But it is difficult because you have no rights as a child to know where you're going, right? You're kind of given up to a system to then be put into another system. So I was put up for adoption. I was brought to this country, given to people I've never met before. And then being told that I not only am part of their family now, but now these are my caretakers. And it's difficult because you don't know who to trust and what to believe because things are changing and happening so quickly. It's crazy because obviously we've spoken at length about all different things, but I've never heard this side of your own personal story. What would you say was like the most challenging part? Because you're also only seven years old. So you're really such a child that when you're only seven or even eight, or even when you're like 10 years old, you know, it's like, yeah. you don't really know what's going on. It's interesting because I actually wrote about it recently and have been kind of writing has been really cathartic for me. Now having a daughter who's five and so close to the age that I was at when I was separated from my birth mom, it's actually proven to me how, how much of a foreign person you are at that age. Mm -hmm. When you think about 
five when you're 15 or when you think about five when you're 25, it feels like such a distant time. You're so focused on kind of the stage of life that you're at at the moment that you don't have the time to really think about like, what is a five-year-old like? What's a six-year-old like? Like, what do they remember? What are they experiencing? What's their capacity for emotion and resilience at that time? And I think now having a child and being able to see what her capacity is and also how much she is able to experience per day, I have a lot of empathy and sadness from my childhood because I think about how difficult that must have been for me, you know? Yeah. It sounds like maybe in the moment, it didn't necessarily feel like difficult because this is all you knew. Yeah, exactly. So I think like when I got to the country, I was dealing with new challenges, right? Which was, I didn't know how to speak English. I didn't know how to communicate with the parents that adopted me. They didn't speak Korean. I didn't speak English. So that was its own challenge. I had never been in a home before with my own room, my own bed. I didn't know what sleeping alone was like. I'd always either slept with my birth mother or I'd always slept with a room full of other kids in an orphanage. So that was a new experience. Like everything was so new and so foreign, literally, that like it was a lot to comprehend and digest. And I think honestly, from age six all the way through to 16 or, you know, 26 even, has just been me like trying to really navigate becoming an adult and just like becoming a person and and not so much spent time like analyzing my past because it was all about moving forward. Would you say when you like your first night you were in New York, Jersey, mm-hmm. were you like, I'm safe now? Or you were maybe more scared? Or were you like, oh, I have some security now that I didn't have previously? I had no sense of security. I think I had no idea what was really happening. And I didn't know what adoption meant. That felt like a new foreign concept that I had never understood what it was. If I asked my daughter now who's five what being adopted is, she wouldn't know what that is either. It was a concept that I didn't understand. And then there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of trepidation. And I think on the other side, you're being told as a child that you should be grateful and happy and excited because you're being saved and you're being like in a safe environment. But you don't understand that safety and you don't understand the concept of gratitude in that aspect because for you, like you were happy, like in the situation you were at with your birth mom or even in the situation you were at with other kids in an orphanage. So it was much more traumatic. It was, it was a lot harder to deal with. And then also the environment where no one looks like you, you're the only Asian person and feeling very, very like isolated. It's crazy hearing you speak about this because I really didn't know any of this side to your own story. What about your birth mom? Were you missing her when you were here? Were you like, why am I in this new country now? Yeah, of course. I think that I went through a lot of emotions. Again, I wasn't fully processing and, and probably still have not completely grappled with and come to terms with. I think there was definitely a tremendous sense of loss. It's like losing. I know you've lost your mom. It's like losing a parent. And also, I think there's anger associated with that too, right? Because it feels like something you can't control. And it's, you know, anger and sadness, all those things. Also, excitement because you're in somewhere new and you're told to be happiness too. I think it's such a mix of emotions that, especially as a child who's just trying to survive day to day, you don't have like the time or capacity to like be able to like really process and understand. What about as you started to get a little bit older, maybe in like your teens or high school, what was your life like at that point? So I think for me, I had a very unique experience where, which I think informed a lot of my professional life, which was, I was always kind of a little bit of an outsider. You know, I didn't really connect with anyone in my family as far as like, I didn't look like them. 
you know, I wasn't birthed into the family in a traditional way. And then I think living in a town in New Jersey where it was very white, it was very homogenous. A lot of it was around this idea and concept of blending in and fitting in. It was difficult. And so I think a lot of my professional life to date, when I think about the work that I do, which is really all about standing out, being proud, being unique and different, it makes sense in a lot of ways that that's like what I do because so much of my life was about blending in and trying to like kind of stay a course. When you were in college or high school, were you like, oh, I want to go into building my own business or what was your mentality around that at that point? It wasn't. I was very drawn to art, I think, because art was kind of my initial medium in communication. I couldn't speak English, so art became a therapy for me. It became the way that I was able to communicate with others. It was the way I was able to draw my experiences. It was the way I was able to remember my mom. And so drawing and art was hugely important to me. It became a big passion point. And I think going into commercial design, going into graphic design, going into art, it all makes sense that that's like kind of where I went because communication and storytelling became really the biggest things in my life that I really cared about. And so all of that helped kind of inform where I am now. I worked for a number of years in advertising agencies, branding shops, design companies, and was always around art, storytelling. Those were all the things I really cared about and was excited about. And I only started my company in 2017. I was pregnant with my daughter and I was thinking a lot about my mom because I think that's natural. You, you know, I'm about to have a baby. I'm about to experience what she went through. And I kind of looked around and I felt like the situation that I was in, you know, I was luckily with someone who was amazing and a really supportive partner. So I definitely had that leg up versus my mom's experience. But I knew that I wanted to kind of go through the birth and go through the experience of, of having a family in a way that gave me the ability and room to be able to really process what was happening. And so part of that was having more autonomy in my professional life. And so I started the company really when I was three months pregnant with my daughter. I decided to stop working for someone else, start really building the agency. And it all coincided with me having her. With your parents that adopted you, did you have a good support system here for like entering motherhood in your own life? Or was that something that you sort of had to cultivate? I'm curious what that's been like for you. I think that every parent wants to do the best they can. I think that my parents, the capacity that they were at to have me, you know, which was not easy, you know, to adopt an older child from another country who had a lot of childhood trauma. That was definitely not easy for anyone to navigate, any parent. I can't imagine me being able to do it. I think it's very difficult. So I give them a lot of grace and compassion around what they were able to do. At the same point, I think I definitely wanted to do motherhood differently in my own way. And so a lot of that was around this idea of having the flexibility in my schedule, in my life to be able to be able to be a mom in a way that that would really work for me. You know, work is hugely important for me. And I wanted to make sure I had the space and time and place to be able to really make my career a focus as well, as well as having a child. And so starting the agency really gave me the ability to do that. When you first started the agency, you obviously have a lot going on. You're about to become a mother. I'm curious about your mindset then as it relates to building or starting a business. Did you have any doubts around, will this work? I imagine there's some stress, like you're leaving your job where you have all this security as it relates to getting a paycheck every single month. What was that like? It's really funny because people ask me this question about security a lot. And I think about security in the sense of my life. I just told you my story a little bit. And 
I think that people have a false sense of security when they work for a big company because they think, oh, I work for a big place and someone else is taking care of this and I'm good, I'm protected. And I think oftentimes what we realize, especially with the economy and so much has happened over the past couple of years, that that's a false sense of security, right? Like the sense of security you really have is when you're in control of your own path and destiny. And that also means like you're in control of your own finance too, right? So I now work for myself. That's the biggest security that I could have because I'm in control of that versus if I work for someone else, it feels like you're really at the whim of that person in that company. What about your mindset around, do you have any doubts? Will this work? Will I be able to pay myself the same or better or worse than what I'm making now? Because, you know, sometimes I think it's easy to say, oh yeah, I can make a couple dollars on the side doing X, Y, Z, but can I replace what I'm making at this job? I think especially as you get older, as you start making more money in like the working world, it's harder to replace that income with your own business. For sure. Yeah, no, I think that one thing that I realized was that, I mean, I'm definitely someone who is not scared of risk. So I think that's always been an advantage of mine as an entrepreneur. It's I'm not risk averse. Like I like challenges. I like doing things that are not expected of me. I like going for it. You know, I think that that's something that's been a big strength of mine. So I didn't necessarily have maybe the good foresight to think of what the risk was. I think for me, I felt like I really believed in myself. I knew I had cultivated a lot of talent and experience to date. And I felt like given the opportunities I had, because I did start kind of consulting with brands kind of on the side in 2016, 2015, prior to kind of making a leap to be completely independent. So I knew that I had a little bit of a network that I could tap into. And so for me, I felt like, let me try this. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just do something else. And I think when you've had no money and when you've had literally nothing before and you know that you can survive, I think that your appetite for taking the bigger challenges and bigger leaps is more open. Would you say that that like muscle that you have, has that evolved or changed as you've become very successful in your own business? You've achieved more success. Has it become more challenging to take new risks or because sometimes it's like, oh, like now I'm kind of comfortable. I don't want to lose what I've made. Yeah, I think my biggest maybe weakness is that I don't understand comfort. I don't understand safety and security. So I wake up every day thinking that I might lose everything and that I might, I might not have anything after today. So I, I think for me. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The biggest challenge has been to like slow down because I'm constantly always thinking about how I can do more, achieve more, get more because I'm always afraid of losing anything that I have. So 
I think that's been hard for me. And I think in one way, I think a lot of people view me as a success to your point, because like I've been able to build a business and yes, on paper, we've had success. But I think on the other hand, I think every day, like I probably won't have the success or like maybe I don't deserve the success or maybe it won't last. And so I think that's been difficult, I think, to have a business that way. And maybe appreciating what you do have. Yeah, I think it's hard for me too, because I think everything feels, there's not a permanence. Like I feel very unsafe all the time in that way with business, which I think is the other side, right? So like I, I, on one hand, my strength is that like, I'm not afraid of risk. I'm willing to kind of achieve more, build more, climb more. I think on the other hand, my weakness is that I don't understand when something is enough and that I don't necessarily understand what success is or what security is. I'm constantly building a mountain that probably is never going to be finished building. Do you do anything internally to like try to work on that now? Well, I'm really fortunate that I have a partner who is a complete counter to me and that like he is really satisfied in life. Like he's happy and he finds joy in like really small, simple things. And it gives me the moment of reflection and time to really be able to slow down and be like, you're right. Like, we are good and like, we're going to be okay. And he provides a lot of grounding elements to me. I think that I'm so fortunate to have him and the life that we have together. And I think my kids also help me because I understand how precious time is and how fortunate I am to have them. But yeah, it's something I'm still constantly working on. How would you define success? Like in your eyes, what is success? I honestly don't know because people ask me this a lot and they say, do you consider yourself successful? Do you consider like, what do you consider success? When will all of this be enough? And I think for me, I'm really challenged with that because I think it's why I start a new business or I try different things because I don't necessarily know what kind of an end goal or success is for me. I think I love the fact that I have a company, I'm able to provide livelihood for so many people in my company, but I'm also able to provide support and access to founders, to companies, to to businesses and help to bridge a lot within communities and also verticals and spaces with the work that I do professionally every day. That is really personally gratifying for me. But do I consider that successful? I'm not sure. But when you wake up in the morning, is there something that like you're aspiring towards or working towards or where it's like, this is in your head, this is the bar, the metric that I'm using to define as a successful day? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think like my kids being happy and healthy, my husband being happy and healthy, like myself being happy and healthy, whatever that means, like that is really hugely important to me. I think that my team feeling like they're supported and that they have the space and access to be able to do what they want professionally is really important. So those are daily success metrics for me. But I think in the larger scheme, I do ask myself like, you know, as I continue to build and build a company, like will it ever be enough? And it might not be. I mean, I think I grew up in a situation where I might always be a little bit afraid of the rug being pulled under me. So it's difficult for me to ever feel like anything will ever be 100% enough. And I think that's challenging, right? You're around people and relationships who they want contentment for you. It definitely makes sense. I feel like on one hand, though, it's you want to be able to say, hey, like, I'm happy with where I'm at. I feel good in my own skin with what I've done. And I feel proud of what I've accomplished. But it's also, I feel okay, to some extent, to be your own harshest critic. And I'm sure that kind of accelerates you forward as well. You know, like, I'm not where I want to be, or when will it be enough? Sort of, you know, I think maybe you want to work to try to 
have some clarity around that. But at the same time, like I think about it in my own life where I've had some success and it's very challenging for myself to feel satisfied and feel to just feel happy for myself that like, yeah. oh, I'm doing some cool things. It's yeah. oftentimes it's like, I'm not where I want to be or I'm not living where I want to be yet. Yeah. And I think that's like a constant like struggle I fight with, right? Because on one hand, I have so much gratitude, right? I feel so fortunate for the life that I have, the family I have, the roof over my head, food on my table, I, like the small things too, you know? I feel so much gratitude for that. But on the other hand, I grapple with this constant feeling of not enough. I need to do more. You need to work harder. You need to try more. You need to push yourself. And so it's a tough road to be between because I, I feel trapped between that sometimes. And I think, and I'm curious with you, Dan, because I know you've dealt with loss of family members, but it's something I struggle with too, like having lost my birth mom and having felt like kind of my whole world was overturned so quickly. Like I constantly live in fear of like something happening to my kids, something happening to my husband. It's hard when you are dealing with loss like that and being able to kind of compartmentalize that, I guess, in some way. I would say at this point, I'm more empowered by my losses and what I've lived through, where my past experience with loss has sort of opened up my own eyes and has shaped my perspective as it relates to knowing that like death is a very real part of life. How do I want to spend the limited time I have on this earth? And how do I want to spend and to be very present with the limited time that I'm given? I think about that a lot. And just like a great example of that is I'm going to go out with my wife tonight, or I'm going to see some friends tonight. I'm not going to be occupied on my phone. I'm going to be very present and in the moment and appreciate that. You know, I know at the beginning we were talking about like safety when you were growing up, but like for me, right when I wake up in the morning and I, I have like a little gratitude practice, but the first two things I write every single morning, it's like clockwork almost is health and then safety. And it's not like I'm just writing them for the sake of writing them. It's that I truly feel grateful that I'm not waking up in a stressful state because I know that like I'm already winning the day that I have my health and that I have my safety. Like the fact that I could wake up in this apartment and have those two things covered, it's like I've already won the day. So I think for me, like that's what my own losses really opened up my eyes to. And it makes me very present about those small things. And I think that contentment that you have is something that I'm so attracted to as a person. And I think it's probably why we became friends because I think that's something that I have yet to achieve in my life, right? Like I feel gratitude towards safety and health and the people of my life, I think where I have yet to flip it to, which I hope to get to at some point is that understanding that you're right, time is finite. And like, I can't spend my time anxious and worried about all going away. I have to now just like make the most of it. You know, I think what I've seen of you do is to your point, like instead of becoming kind of paralyzed by like the lack of time or the idea that things are short, the way that I am in some ways, like you've been able to kind of just be able to be like, okay, well it is. And I'm able to now like get beyond that by making the most of it. Yeah. And I was telling someone this the other day and they said, you know, like they felt like it was a pretty depressing perspective or a depressing way to look at life because they're like, you sort of always have the idea that death could come floating around in your head. You know, I said, like, I really don't feel like it's not like it's this depressing thought of, oh, death is it's just very real. It's very authentic. It's very honest, right? Like bad shit happens all the time. And death is a part of that equation. I think actually in many ways, and this is where I feel like it really empowers me, is that like really, if you know that you two will die and that those you love will also die at some point, you live your life very differently when you actually 
hold that close to you and recognize that that's a real part of life and like a real part of this thing called life. I think really a great example is just like, there are so many people who get together for a dinner or see friends and they're just on their phone. And it's like, well, if you knew that tomorrow, that person may die, they might get hit by a car, whatever it is, obviously, right? Like we're talking so general and so broad here. But if you know that that person's going to die tomorrow, you're not going to be on your phone and texting your other friend, you're going to be very present and in the moment and appreciating those seconds that you have with that person. And I think that that's how like my own loss has really empowered my own perspective on life. Yeah, it's really cool. I think one thing that has empowered me with loss has been this idea that like, or at least my untraditional life, I guess, to date has been this idea that like, life doesn't have to be so traditional. You know, I think I spent a long, a lot of time trying to normalize everything that happened to me by trying to be as like, normal, I guess, as possible by like, kind of following the rules, like, doing well in school, going to a college, getting a job, kind of doing things in like that sequential order, getting married, having kids, doing all the things that kind of are expected of what you think a traditional successful life looks like. And I think in the past couple of years for me has been like really upending that. You know, I recently bought an ice cream store in upstate New York on a very, I think, uh, impulsive way. But part of that too, and why I think it makes sense for me is that like, I don't think of life as one goal, one end, one finish, or success in that way either. I think of it as like, to your point, like life is so short, we don't know how much time we have, like, why make plans that you might not be able to achieve, like, just go for those plans now and, and try to do all the things that you want to do now versus putting them off later. And I think people think like, maybe that's impulsive, or maybe that seems really crazy and, and doesn't really make sense in the rest of the work that I do day to day. But for me, I think when I operate in a way that feels like less traditional, less, you know, expected is like when I feel like the most alive. It's interesting to hear you say that. I think also, I read something the other day that was about how to find your life purpose. This person was saying, I think it was on Medium, but they were saying that like, a lot of people are, they reach like this breaking point or this, they feel like they're in a rut because they're like, I'm not aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing or with what I want to do. And I'm doing this thing that I don't really like. And it's just a job. And I think today, especially a lot of younger people, I think like way more when I think about my parents' generation, like I really feel like my dad sort of was in this, had like a little bit of a unique circumstance because he really found what he loved like early on in life and pursued it. And was he was an industrial designer and was very passionate about industrial design. But I feel a lot of people of that generation were more like, you get a job to pay the bills. I think if I asked aunts, uncles, or older people that generation, they'll sort of say that they'll have a similar mentality to that. I think today, a lot of people try to find or try to apply like grand meaning to their work. And I think in some cases, like obviously, if you can, or if you have some purpose or a meaning that you're able to apply to like your professional life, it's awesome. But this article was saying that so many people are like, how do I figure out my life purpose or my life's meaning? And the author was just saying, like, you just try a lot of different things. And the things you enjoy, you continue to pursue and things you don't, you sort of kick to the curb. A lot of times going back to it, a lot of people sort of choose just, hey, I'm just going to get that job because it's secure. And then you sort of end up in that a little bit in that trap. But it was interesting to me because you're talking about like following the rules early on. And now you're just sort of going with the flow and following sounds like maybe the things that you're interested in. And this author was saying that like, that's the way to figure out your life purpose is just try a bunch of different things. I really like that because I've heard of so many young people be like, oh, how do I make more meaning in my life? And it's like, 
well, maybe I'm not trying enough things. Yeah. And I think like there's also rules that we put around ourselves, even as society, like I think even friends as well intentioned as they are, like when I was pregnant, you know, people saying, is that really the right time to start your own company? Like, wouldn't it be better to not do that now and wait, but wait for what and wait for when? And I think same thing when I was having buying this ice cream shop, people were like, well, you already have a business and you have two kids, like you're a mom now, like, how can you take that type of risk? And I think we put all these like rules and safeguards around what we think people should do or when people should do things. And I think a lot for me has been around like letting go of those expectations or what people think and trying to really find what makes me happy and what fulfills me. I love that. Why do you think people do that? I think it comes from a good place or does it come more from like a place of jealousy? Like, oh, that's so cool. Even the people that love you, they naysay and they're like, oh, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good intention behind it, right? Because I think people ultimately want you to be okay and they want to give you those watch outs. I think you know, they want to say like, climb that ladder, but like, don't fall down. You know, they want you to, they want you to kind of go for it, but they also want that safety for you. And so I think I like to believe it comes from a good place, but I do think that we do teach kids, we teach young adults to try to kind of follow things that feel very linear, like this step leads to the next step that leads to the next step, but maybe you're not going up steps. Maybe you're going, you know, around a circle. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be so expected that path, right? You can kind of diverge. I hear what you're saying. Like it comes from a good place. I'm thinking about my own life. And like, I was telling someone maybe a couple of months ago, like, Hey, I've made this decision about my professional career and it's going to be good. I'm feel content about it. I feel happy about it. And they're like, good, I'm happy you made that decision. It sounds like you're growing up. When they said that, I was like, in my head, I was like, fuck that person. Because I feel a lot of times when people share like, is this the right time? Or why are you doing that? Even if they're older and they have their own experiences, like they've sort of chosen the path that they've chosen. And now the life they're living is a result of the choices they made. And that's been their own decision. But I have so many examples of this where I spoke to an older family member or just someone who's older who maybe has like, more wisdom just because they've been alive on this earth for more time than I have. And the life they're living is really a direct result of the choice they made. Maybe they've chosen to go down this path where they sacrifice some of their own happiness to like make a little bit more money or have a little bit more security. And then they're like, this is the way the world works. This is how it works. This has been my narrative. This has been my story. And this is the way I'm going to live my life. And then it's like, that's how you have to live your life. But it's obviously not the case, you know? So I remember once I was with my uncle and he sort of imparted his wisdom that you make decisions in life and you choose to do things to provide a certain lifestyle for your family. And I'm okay with those decisions I've made because I've been able to provide for my family this certain lifestyle. In my mind, I was like, you know, that's cool. That's been your choice, but you could have probably made a little bit less, still provided for your family and been a lot happier if you turn left instead of going right. But I do think like, I love what you're saying around making your own decisions and choosing your own path. Yeah, I think that's my thing that if I have to think about my purpose, I think it's a lot of times about being unconventional and not caring as much, I guess maybe I used to about what other people think and trying to live life for me and live life for others in service of others is what I really care about. Like not caring and truly like not giving a shit what other people think. Like it's very hard to do. It's a huge secret to happiness though, I think. Yeah, I think social media like it makes it tough as well, you know? Because yeah. And comparison. I try to let go of any comparison. I try to think about really how I can be happy for others, but also happy for myself. It doesn't necessarily have to be just because someone's winning doesn't mean that I'm now losing. And 
all of that. I think that all takes time and maturity to like understand, but the more and, and sooner that you get that, I think it's the happier you'll be. hundred percent. So you open up this ice cream shop. You literally just opened, right? Or not yet? I just opened this past weekend for the first time. We opened an ice cream shop called Cherries in Stone Ridge, New York. I love uh, living up there part-time. I live in a small town called Kerhonkson, about two hours outside Manhattan. And I really found a lot of peace being out there. It's something that place where my kids love going and I love spending time. And during the pandemic, spending so much time up there, I realized that there was kind of a hole for children in particular places to go. And we oftentimes would stop at this ice cream shop along 209. It became a place for us that was safe and happy during kind of a very difficult time when you know the global pandemic was happening. And when it went up for sale, I thought a lot about whether that business, I could maybe help renovate and push it a little bit and make it into a space that's even more of a place and destination for kids and families to go to. And so that's really what I'm working on now. So we're open now for ice cream. And the idea is that in the fall, we're actually going to change the building next to it into a space to give free art classes to local kids. Like I said, art was such a big part of my life. And so being able to give back and be able to teach art classes to children is like something that I have always dreamed about. And I'm excited to be able to do there. And then we're also going to have um, a little bit of a candy shop. So we're going to kind of make it like a mixed use space with lots of sugar, but also, you know, a place where kids and families will really enjoy going to. Do you have aspirations like build an, an ice cream brand or is it more just like you want to have a really cool ice cream shop up there? Yeah, I think like, I don't think that I ever had aspirations to build like kind of a new product or business. I think I was excited to take this on as a challenge and just kind of taking it day by day to see where it goes. But it's really fun so far. And it's been a really fun outlet too for myself, my husband and our family to kind of explore as like a new adventure. I always hear people who are in the food business. They're so sick of the like, if you ask them, oh, what's your favorite thing? A lot of people that I've spoken to are in the food business will say like, I don't eat anything from this place because I've eaten so much of it. Are you at that point? Are you eating all the ice cream in the world? You know, what's funny is that I've never been an ice cream person. So and my husband is lactose intolerant. So we joke that this is like the opposite of the business we should be in, but it's also good too, because we're not eating our own supply. So I like it. And it's really important to me that we have like really good local ingredients. So that's one of the first things that we did was we really tried to change the menu and try to um, tap into local resources and vendors that we could partner with. And so that's the kind of stuff that I get really excited about. Yeah, awesome. I'm curious, looking back on your upbringing and your life and where you are today, what's that like to look back and see like the life that you've built and the life that you're building? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel really grateful for having my family. I think my kids are like the biggest thing for me as far as um, something that I never thought that I would have. I love the fact that I'm able to be a mom. I love that I have two kids. I love my husband and having the life that we have together. I think a stable home life was always my goal. And I'm so fortunate to have achieved that. And then I think separately, I think having a business that's really focused on being values led, like really the idea that I'm partnering with women, founders of color, entrepreneurs who are trying to make their dreams come true. Like I think for me, like I get so much personal satisfaction from that. So I think in retrospect, when I think about my life and my journeys to date, like I feel like a lot of the dots connect to bring me to where I am now. And it makes a lot of sense, like where I got to. I'm excited to see what's next for me. And who knows, like next five years might look completely different. And I think that's okay too. I think that 
sometimes we think like where we get to once we get there, that has to be the end goal. But for me, I can kind of see like next five years, it might look completely different. Do you ever wake up and feel like, holy shit, like this is awesome. This is crazy. This is, I'm also very harsh on myself and it's really hard for me to like feel proud. But there are those few moments here and there where I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome that this is the life I'm living. I have those moments. I have those pinch me moments. Like I definitely have moments where I'm just so grateful for everything that I have now. And I think it just motivates me, pushes me more. Awesome. Well, we can start to wrap up this episode. The Bits of Gold podcast all about building your dream life. With that, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love? I would say throw out any kind of playbook or expectation for what you think life has to be and really kind of listen to your intuition and um, what motivates you and try to build from there. Awesome. Where can people connect with you, find you, follow you? You can find me on Instagram. Um, Our agency is Working Assembly. Yeah, and excited to connect with people more. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, share with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple iTunes podcast. It really helps with growing the show. With that, I hope you take something from this episode and apply it in your life and apply it to your life this week and continue to build your dream life. Have an amazing week. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.